Good morning. Um, as Mal said, my name is Winston, um, and I'm in the ministry residency here. Um, but this is going to be my last Sunday at, at Woodbine for a little while. I'm, I'm going back to Zimbabwe, uh, Lord willing, for, for five weeks. Um, and then I, I hope to uh, continue with you guys in the fall uh, into the new year. And then my wife and I will be moving uh, back to Zimbabwe long term in January. So um, it's so good uh, to be with you this morning um, and to continue this series that we're doing in First Peter. Uh, so this is the fifth in the series. The first week, Doug spoke about um, us having a living hope. Um, uh, then then uh, there was the exhortation to be holy uh, because God is holy. Um, the third week, he spoke about coming from darkness into light. Um, and then last week, he was speaking about doing good works. Um, and this week, we get to talk about suffering. And everyone's like, woo, I can't wait. Don't worry, though. It is suffering with joy. And now everyone's like, come on, how trite, how, how blasé. Um, how can you have joy when you are suffering? Don't you just have to be incredibly naive? to have a sober look at the world and how broken it is. And yet still have hope. Don't you have to blind yourself to the realities of the world, to the realities of suffering? Pretend like it's not there. Dilute suffering to, to be positive, to be optimistic. The French philosopher Voltaire thought so. His most famous work is this short novel called Candide. Candide means naivety. And the subtitle of this novel is Or Optimism. So this is the title, Naivety or Optimism. It, it, this idea that in order for us to be positive, in order for us to have any hope, we kind of just have to be ignorant of how the world really is, what it is really like. And so the question I have for you this morning is how can you have hope when you have an accurate understanding of how broken the world really is, when you're staring suffering in the face and, and, and you're grappling with the gravity of how much it hurts. I believe that it's that sort of question that, that Peter is setting out to answer when he writes this letter that we are going to read, um, particularly the passage uh, that, that, that we'll read today. It's First Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 to 19. If you'd like to stand um, while I read it, that would be great. First Peter, chapter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. 
Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you were ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Let me pray. Father God, as we look around this world that you have made, we recognize that this world is not as you made it, is not as you intended it to be. When we turned our backs on you, when we sinned, we broke, we broke this, this good creation. And now this world is a place of much suffering. I pray that you would give hope to our hearts. As we think about the encouragement we have in Christ. Even in the face of unimaginable pain. We ask this thing in the gracious name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can be seated. Do you have to be naive to have hope in suffering? Peter says no. This is an incredibly hopeful letter, but it is anything but naive. Peter has a more realistic view of the state of the world than, than, than most people do most days. Dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Suffering is not something that should ever take us by surprise, Peter says. This is something that is entirely expected. Do not be surprised as if something unusual were happening to you. If you live in this world, suffering is coming. It's not the exception, it is the norm. Peter is not naive 
about the state of suffering in this world. He, he doesn't dilute it. I was at a coffee shop this morning and a, a song started playing. Um, and it intrigued me. Man, I can't, I can't remember the melody. Mel, I don't know how you do it because I can remember the lyrics and I was singing it all morning so that I'd hopefully remember it. Now I can't remember it. Um, but uh, anyway, the lyrics are... Um, oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Um, the world's not perfect, but it's not that bad. We've got each other, and that's all we have. And this is really catchy song, and I, I don't want to knock the song. In, in many ways, it's actually quite a, a sweet song. Um, but a, as I listened, I was just struck. This is a worldly perspective on suffering. This is how you deal with the problem of pain when you don't have Christ. You have to dilute the suffering. The world's not perfect, but it's not that bad. I mean, come on, look on the bright side. You can't have the soberness that Peter has. You can't have the realism that Peter has when he looks at the world and he says, suffering is not unusual. If you don't have any solution to that pain, you have to dilute it. You have to minimize it. I mean, look at the hope that the song provides. We have each other, and that's all we have. So there's all this messed up stuff going on in our lives, but it's not that bad, and there's some bright spots. One of which is we have this relationship, and man, this relationship better be good because this is all we have. There's so much more hope to be had than that. There's so much more hope to be had than that. How do we have hope in the face of suffering? I think Peter would would answer this question in two ways. One, um, I get from, from reading the whole of the book, and the other, I think, is in this passage itself. Firstly, when we look at the world and we see that suffering is not something unusual, suffering is not something that's strange, how do we keep that from letting us get into despair? First answer is that we realize that the world is not our home. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad. Peter is addressing this letter to exiles, to strangers, to foreigners, to sojourners. That, in Peter's mind, is what a Christian is. Doug preached last week on chapter 2, um, and, and the, the first verse of that was verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Again, there's this idea that we are foreigners in the land that we live in. We are strangers 
to this earth. We are in a strange place. And when you're in a strange place, you shouldn't think it's strange when you see strange things. So, uh, if you were to come and visit Emmy and I in Zimbabwe one day, and don't miss the hint in the illustration, uh, we have a three-bedroom place there now, actually, and uh, we'd love to have you, we could use your work, really, um, as, as we look to church plant there, so please do come visit us. But if you were to come visit us um, in Zimbabwe one day, um, and we were to take you to a, a nearby national park, and we'd drive along, and you'd look out the window, and you'd see these herds of zebra and wildebeest grazing together. Um, and we'd drive along, and there would be ostriches trotting along the roadside. Uh, we'd pass a body of water, and these huge black backs of hippos, like big rocks with ears twitching back and forth. If you were to come to Zimbabwe and were to see all these sights, it wouldn't make any sense if you were to turn to me in that moment and say, this is so unusual. This is so strange. I would look back at you and I'd say, friend, <laughs> there's nothing strange about the things that you're seeing. It's just that you're in a strange place. These things are very normal in Zimbabwe. It's just that Zimbabwe is not your home. Well, brothers and sisters, Zimbabwe isn't really my home either. I love that country. I can't wait to go back there. But it is not my home. And America is not your home either. It's a great country. I'm, I'm glad that you love it. Um, but your home is so much better than America. We are strangers in a strange place. Our home is a place where there will be no tears, where there will be no suffering, where there will never be sickness or crying or pain. And so we can look around this world and we can expect suffering. We can think of suffering as something that's not unusual or strange. And we don't need to let that get us into the depths of despair because we can remember that we are in a strange place, that we are not at home, that our hope is not in this world. That is the first answer I think Peter would provide to this question. How can we have hope when confronted with the realities of suffering in the world? We realize that we are strangers in this land. Secondly, verse 13, rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings. When we suffer, we are experiencing what our Savior experienced for us. We are experiencing something of what our Savior experienced for us. Our suffering does not separate us from the Lord of the universe. It unites us 
with him. It gives us something in common with him. We, for those of us who are in Christ, we are united with him in his death so that we might also be united with him in his resurrection and exaltation. And so Peter says, rejoice. When, when you experience suffering, say, hallelujah. Because this reminds me that I am united to a Messiah who died and who was raised again. And so my suffering is now going to remind me of my glory. suffering is something that we share in with Christ. And just as he died, so we will be glorified. And then Peter, in verse 15, starts talking about a very specific type of suffering. Um, And this is the suffering that we might want to call persecution. This is suffering because you are a Christian. Let none of you, uh, sorry, uh, verse 14, I apologize. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, that is an indication that the spirit is alive and at work in your heart. Suffering for Christ's name is blessed because it's a confirmation that you are, in fact, in Christ. And then Peter's quick to give us a caution. Um, because, uh, because we need one. I needed one. Look at verse 13. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. What's he saying? He's saying, (laughs) don't pursue suffering as an end in itself. There's nothing inherently good or valuable about suffering. When I first became a believer, I got this confused. Uh, It's like I read the first part of the passage and, and, and not the other part. I was told, if you suffer, this is a sign of the Spirit at work in your heart, and you're being united with Christ in the sufferings, and suffering is a good thing. It's a sign that you're being a faithful witness to Jesus. And so I got it in my mind, okay, I just need to start suffering more. I need to find ways to make me suffer more. Um, and so I found a way. Um, I went up uh, to my friends at school, and I would ask if I could borrow their phones to play a game. Um, and uh, I wouldn't play any games on the phone. I would just go straight to the photos, um, and I would find all the the dodgy pictures that they had, and I would delete them. Um, And um, surprise, surprise, my friends didn't really like me very much after that. Um, and, And they got upset with me, and I actually lost a few friends. But I thought, well, this is a good thing. This is a sign of spiritual vitality. I'm suffering for the name of Christ. Yes, I'm growing in my sanctification. But I was not suffering for the name of Christ. I was suffering as a meddler. You see, 
There's nothing inherently valuable about suffering. There is something inherently valuable about obedience. And sometimes obedience leads to suffering. But, but we sh- should not bring suffering on ourselves. We shouldn't be offensive in ourselves. The gospel is offensive enough. The gospel is going to offend. We shouldn't. We should remove every hindrance to sharing the gospel. We should be the most loving, the most charitable, the most likable people we can possibly be. And yet we should be despised because we hold unswervingly to the truth of the gospel. So no one must suffer for their sins, verse 15. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. We are talking about suffering in these verses. We're talking about suffering that stems directly from your obedience to Christ. You will suffer if you obey Christ. If you hold today to what the Bible teaches about human sexuality, you are immediately going to be labeled as a bigot, as hateful, as small-minded, as intolerant. You can be as loving, as gracious, as humble as you ought to be. You, You can be someone who's always looking to deal with the log in your own eye before you fool with a speck of dust in another person's eye. And you can be kind, hospitable, charitable. But if you hold to what the Bible teaches about sexuality, for example, you are going to be seen as hateful. I put it to you that that is suffering that results directly from your obedience to Christ. Here's another example. Matt was sharing... Uh, a few weeks ago in in our summer Sundays at 9.30, that even though he's been sharing the gospel on a consistent basis for years and years now, every time he's about to start a gospel conversation inside of him, there wells up this flood of anxiety, like he's doing something terrible almost. Well, Matt, here's some advice, bro. If you never want to experience that type of suffering ever again, just don't share the gospel again. You won't experience it. That won't happen. Now, don't take that as your takeaway from the sermon. Um, But that is suffering that stems directly from our, our obedience to Christ. It would be so nice if we could just have friends and not walk between the reality of life and death, not call people to repentance. There would be a certain kind of of suffering that would be removed if we didn't have that obligation. But we love 
people too much not to do that. We love Jesus too much not to do that. And the same applies with our relationships with Christians. The easiest thing to do um, when you're living in Christian community is just, just blob down on the couch, turn a sports game on or, or a series, sit next to the person, crack the odd joke, you know, go do a fun thing with them, you know, have a little bit of banter back and forth, um, but never ever get to anything substantive in the relationship. If you see issues that pop up in their life, sin issues that worry you, if you address that, inevitably that conversation is going to be awkward. It's, it's going to, 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 to take you calling them out and, 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 and crossing the social line. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and that's great. It's just when iron sharpens iron, it's never a comfortable thing. There's always friction. And if you are used by God to, to, to help do the work of sanctification in a person's life, it's going to entail a certain degree of suffering. And that is suffering that stems directly from your obedience to Christ. To all these and more. And by the way, I'm talking about suffering that we experience in our everyday life. Be mindful of the fact that through the centuries and even right now, our brothers and sisters are experiencing suffering of a much more horrific order. You know that there are countries in the world today where you can be beheaded. For, for declaring Jesus your Lord and Savior. Um, you know that there are people today who are meeting in, in secrecy uh, because their leaders will be arrested um, if it is known that, that, a, that a church meets here. Um, let us remember our brothers and sisters um, who, who, who suffer in these ways for their obedience to Christ. And let us prepare our, our own selves for the possibility of, of that coming. You're never going to die for Christ. You're never going to go to prison for Christ if you are not willing to call your brother out on sin, to enjoy an awkward conversation. You're never going to do these great majestic things for Christ if you cannot suffer in what he's giving you here and now. And now, in the letter, Peter turns his attention to another group of people. For the time has come, verse 17, for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the result, the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if the righteous person is saved with difficulty... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? We're talking today about being hopeful in the face of suffering. And I wish I could tell you that anyone out there can have joy in suffering, can have true substantive hope in the midst of suffering. 
but that simply is not the case. If you are outside of Christ, you have no hope in your suffering. Suffering for a Christian reminds us that we are united with Christ and that we will be glorified with Christ. Suffering as a non-Christian reminds you that you are separated from Christ and of the judgment that is to come. And so if you are not someone who has surrendered the entirety of your life to King Jesus this morning, I want to hold out this hope to you. Hope is possible in the midst of the worst tribulation. But it cannot be found outside of Christ. Our God is redeeming this whole world. We are headed to a new heavens and a new earth. This earth is not our home. We encounter strange things on this earth, but we should not consider them strange. But we, as believers, are united to a Messiah who died and then who rose again. And so, we can go through life suffering according to God's will, and we can entrust our souls to Him, knowing that He is faithful. We can have hope, and as we have hope, we can go out, and we can lovingly do good. This is God's encouragement from His Word to us this morning. Father God, I thank you that you love us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you walked among us, that you were like us, you are like us in every way except without sin. You experienced the trauma, the hardship, the pain that is endemic to this world. And I thank you that because you died and rose again, that though we are united with you in suffering, we have a glorious hope that can never be shaken. May we put our trust in this hope this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.